Welcome to the next episode of the Uncharted 80s podcast. I'm here with my good buddy, Noel. Hey, welcome, Noel. Hi, welcome. Once again, thanks for all your feedback. It's really appreciated. Keep it coming. Subscribe. Uh, leave a five-star review if you can, if you think we're worth it. And as you know, we're also on YouTube now. Noel and I uh, are here. We're passionate about the 80s uh, and particularly those bands that perhaps flew under the radar. But they've left a lasting impact on the music landscape. Those forgotten melodies and some treasures that we think now deserve a brighter spotlight. Uh, this week, I've brought along a band called The Photos Knoll. Are you familiar with them? I am familiar with them. Uh, A good friend of mine used to have the album. He's got quite a colourful sleeve on. Yeah, it has, yeah. There's a lot of stories associated with... They made two albums, which we'll come on to, but there's a lot of stories about both of those albums. Okay, cool. So... Okay, yeah, so the photos. So who were they? So they were originally originally a punk band called Satan's Rats. They come from Evesham in Worcestershire, uh, and Satan's Rats were around in, in the sort of late 77-ish. And we, I'm not going to cover that particular band on this, this, this podcast. The band are uh, Wendy Wu on vocals, Steve Eagles on guitar and vocals, Dave Sparrow on bass guitar and vocals, and Ollie Harrison on drums and percussion. And Steve, Dave and Ollie were in the uh, Satan's Rats. And uh, they then, uh, the main guy uh, within the Satan's Rats, a guy called Paul Rencher, who was the vocalist, then left the band and they decided that they'd get a a female singer. So they trawled around Birmingham, apparently, um, found Wendy Wu in Barbarella's nightclub. All right, uh, famous nightclub. Yeah. Yeah, and they actually wrote a song about uh, Barbarella's, particularly as they were closing it down, uh, oh, and they right. wrote a song for that. I didn't have a record label. Uh, they were originally going to sign for uh, Cherry Red Records, and that's a, a little bit of a circular thing because they they did the re-release of their, their two albums. That they were they were going to re- release it, and uh, apparently the, the 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 record companies all got involved. They were they were doing getting a lot of a uh, lot of publicity. They they sort of tried. I think they. The business tried to market them as like the British Blondie. Yeah, I heard that actually, and they weren't very happy about that, were they? They preferred to be more aligned with kind of punk and new wave they, bands. They were, and actually, Wendy Wu, I got a quote from her. Uh, she said, "I prefer to be like Susie and the Banshees than Blondie. The whole thing with us is the music, not the ritzy image. I've never considered myself as a sex symbol. No way." 
So cool. yeah, the, I think that that's that was probably the the, the right way to go. But they get their early days. They were gigging constantly and they toured extensively as the photos with bands like squeeze the undertones the police thompson twins i found a an advert for a, a gig at the lyceum with the photos a group called michael debars and his checkered past i'll come on to that in a second uh the thompson twins and tb21 well as you know oh. as we probably mentioned in most pods yeah. Um, TV21 are our, uh, yeah. our go-to band, so we love TV21. Yeah, up and coming that one. So, but what a what a great night that would have been. And I I actually went to see them at in St Albans City Hall, uh, April in 1981. And that band, as I said, Michael Dubar's Checkered Past. The the notable thing uh, about them was I actually went to see the band and then sort of fell in love with the photos. But I actually went to see because they had Nigel Harrison and Clem Burke from Blondie in ah. his band. So you went to see another band and fell in love with the photos? Yeah. Yeah, oh, strange, That's eh? a great story. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So the photos signed uh, to CBS did one one single, I'm So Attractive. <laughs> records and and that's where the, the it, it starts to get a bit interesting because they did as you said you they did their their debut album that just called the photos and uh, it the album was was really successful got to number four in the album charts I initially wow. got to number 11 and then went, went up the charts but uh, they gave away a free album of their sort of demo they call the black male tapes but like their demo uh, tracks and some of them were from the previous band, the, the Satan's Racks, and it was interesting just to see the the sound how that changed. But that was that was good. Album produced by um, Roger Pachurian, uh, who'd also produced or engineered bands like Elvis Costello, oh, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Squeeze, Undertones, Nick Lowe, Graham Parker. Wow! But of course, the big the big issue that I think then caused some deep-rooted issues with the band. They did this marketing, record company did a marketing stunt uh, where they gave away sort of free cameras uh, to the, the sort of record stores that they thought, I think, were the chart return shops. The band, I know, are still irritated by it because of all the things I've read. view is that actually it was all about grafting and gigging. They were gigging everywhere, so they were everywhere. And Wendy was clearly the, the sort of, you know, I hope they... 
guys don't mind me saying that, but the, she was definitely the face of the band and her, her sort of her picture was all over the music press, you know, consistently. So, you know, and maybe there was that thing about, you know, maybe not by the band, but the British Blondie feel. Anyway, so so that was you know that was that was uh, something I think that sort of has, has followed them unfortunately through through their career. So did they did they ever appear on TV? They they had a slot uh, scheduled on Top of the Pops. Oh wow! And they you know they did make a few TV appearances, but they did an old grey whistle test. But the, the Top of the Pops one, um, you know, they must have thought that the world's against us because that was cancelled due to uh, industrial action at, at the BBC. Oh. But they did appear on, as I say, sort of showing the Netherlands top pop and uh, and the old grey whistle test, but, and, they, and they were broadcast. But uh, And they had some singles that made the lower reach of the chart. Irene got to number 56 in that EP. They, they had Bar- not Barbarella's. So they, they were sort of doing okay, but not setting the world alight after that initial album. Um... So it sounds it's a familiar story, isn't it, for the bands that we're covering here, that... They're doing some great stuff and, you know, they're putting out some great tunes and just doesn't seem to happen. It's really frustrating. Hence, if it did, we wouldn't have this podcast. That's true. <laughs> but I also feel that the you're right. The, there's such a trend of things here. It's all, you know, if you, if the music is good enough, then it'll last. And I think, you know, you know, both their albums were re-released in the in 2007, 2008 by Cherry Red Records, which is interesting because that's who they wanted to sign for in the first place. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they released those with lots and lots of extra extra tracks on them. Um, but interestingly, the, but the second album, although it was re-released in 2008-ish, uh, actually wasn't released initially. So they, so once again, another little story here. They made the album and took it. Uh, it was produced by Tony Visconti. So oh, wow. yeah, so they they've had sort of real stellar producers for both their albums. And uh, they took it to back to the record company, and uh, there was a guy there uh, called uh, Muff Winwood, who I think is related to Steve Winwood, and he he felt there was only one hit on it, which was called "For Beauty's Sake." And and I've taken some of this info from some of the the, the notes that they've made um, about the um, about the album. But uh, they they 
he felt there was only one one hit on it for Beauty Shay, and 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 basically said they've got to go out, re-record it, and write uh, more hits. So they set they sent them away and said, right. right, write a hit. Well, you know, as you know, that's that's if it was easy, <laughs> everybody'd be doing it. I know uh, that's rem- reminiscent of when the the jam after the jam did a an album after the Modern World album. And the record company said, get out, <laughs> throw them out. And and Weller went away and came back with all mod cons. But uh, like you say, managing to pull that out of the bag is, is how do you do it? You know, no, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, they wrote a couple of songs that they thought would be, be hit, Charlotte and Will Win. But um, in in reality, they they said, well, we're not going to re-record it, um, and the and the uh, record company said, well, we're not releasing it. They did release it in promotional form only, so there were a few copies around. Yeah, um, not, but not, not wider public. No, no, not on not on general release. You know, for for me, if they could have just got themselves, you know, got that marketed and got it out there, I'm pretty sure it would have it, it would have hit the spot. But hey, you know, history is a strange thing, and the record business is something that you know. I don't know about you, Noel, but I don't understand it for sure. No, no, exactly. Well, that's a brief summary of the band's history. Uh, we're now joined by one of the photos, David Sparrow, who was on bass and vocals. Welcome to the Uncharted Eighties podcast, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Cheers. I guess we want to take you back to those first stages of the sort of back end of the Satan's Rats and into the photos. How how was that transition? Because clearly that was a sort of slight transition of style, new vocalist. Was it easy? Why what what was the background behind that all happening? I think it, I think it was it was random chaos. I, I, maybe if maybe if I sort of explain where I come in into Satan's Rats, I wasn't an original member. I I, I joined them towards the end of you know of Satan's Rats. Uh, I wasn't on any of the original singles issues, and and I guess you know I guess uh, punk what, what was it what, didn't ha- it wasn't dying out, but it, it didn't have the impact that it had. Things were things were changing a little bit. Uh, I I came from weirdly. I was living in Leicester at the time, and and I was playing with a a, um, a, a prog rock band, trying to make a living. Um, and I was at, uh, at Leicester, what was then the Polytechnic, Leicester Polytechnic, lunchtime. I knew somebody who was working there behind the bar could get free beer, uh, and there was a DJ there um, playing some stuff. And I heard something, and I said, "What the hell is this? We're not seeing him." I said, "What's this?" And he said, uh, "Above the volume." He went, rah, rah, rah. "I said, who?" He went, rah, rah. <laughs> "Say again, fella." He went, "It's the Ramones." 
And it just oh, blew right. me away. It was the yeah. first time I'd heard the Ramones. Blew me away. Went back to the house we were living in. Uh, said to the drummer, you know, it's no good. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. I, 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 I got to join a punk band. And I picked up sounds. Uh, so for younger listeners, there was an, uh, an old music rag. Uh, and that's where the adverts were for, for musicians. And uh, on the back pages, went down, bass players wanted. And there was one there that said, uh, punk band with record deal, uh, tour planned, looking for bass player, must be under five foot ten. And being what, five foot, why under five foot ten? I because wonder. none of them were, were particularly tall, and they just oh, wanted, to, wanted to keep the look. And right. uh, you didn't really be like Nicky Wire or you know, see the yeah, too, too tall, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and being five foot seven and a half, I went, That's for me, perfect. They, they, I, I was told I was the only person who applied, but anyway, I ended up I ended up playing with them. Uh, but had my... you played bass before? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, right. yeah. I, um, in fact, my first band at school um i think it was at 12 13 first band um with nick kershaw he uh, we went to school together um had a couple of bands with him uh, so i've been playing in bands for a bit was i any good who knows i just loved doing it you know i it, it was the love of music rather than a, any particular ability i think um the passion was there uh, and and that's, we'll come back to that a little later on actually I came along, I had had a slightly different sensibility and things were changing, you know, um, new wave was beginning to, to, to come on the horizon. And, and I liked that. I loved, I loved the sixties influence in some of the stuff. And I, so I think things were beginning to change, but add on top of that, myself and uh, Paul Rancher didn't really see eye to eye. We didn't get on very well. Um, and, and so we were getting a little fractious. Um, I think deep down we all understood it's probably the end of Satan's Rats. The time was time was up, and we're probably looking to to change. And uh, we were aware of of uh, Wendy from Barbarella's, um, knew her, and 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 well, the, the other guys knew her more than I did. Uh, bumped into her once, but they knew her, and we um, we thought she would look. She thought she looked great, you know, and she would she would play the part. And I remember we asked her, you know, can you sing? And she said, uh. Yeah, I think so. Uh, right, you're in, you know, and it was it was pretty much like that. So she came. So along this is and... um, this is Barbarella's nightclub in Birmingham, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, actually, made famous by Bank with the photos in one of their songs.
yeah so that, that and that was where you know obviously that's where we used to used to go that was the the main hangout for us we're about 30 miles away from birmingham um so it was it wasn't such a big trek and uh it, so it was the place to go to and uh so we knew from there and um and she came along and uh, and we had a bit of a rehearsal and and yeah worked a treat thank you very much indeed so it, it was quite casual we you know there was no great there's no great master plan to um to develop something separately um i think steve uh, particularly liked the idea of of uh, having a female singer because that meant he could write songs from a from a different perspective he'd been writing songs um from a male perspective for a number of years and i think he he liked the idea of of the female element and uh, uh so we started off obviously playing uh, old satan's rats stuff to start with um as and then new material came along so that was the transition that's how it came about uh, there was one one other interesting side note when we were um, talking about possibly changing. Um, one of the things that we thought about was, you know, a name change, and it was actually Paul who came up with the with the name of the photos. Remember, we were coming back from London doing a gig somewhere, and I think we were in, we were in a car. He was in a in the van and had pulled up, uh, overtook us on the motorway, and wound down the windows, and he shouted the photos. And we went, yeah, I like that. That's pretty good, and that's where that all came from. Um, and it's a little ironic that um, Paul then left us. Yeah. So that so, was the that was the transition. Yeah, that's interesting. So did when you when you when you started then playing as the photos, you mentioned about the songwriting. Did you get involved in that as well? Steve was the person who always came up with the with the the raw ideas. You know, there'd be a chord sequence, and there'd be maybe some words. Um, you know, sometimes a little bit a little bit rough around the edges. But but he had a, he had a, a skeleton outline of a tune somewhere. But we worked on it all together, and I think one of the one of the strengths of, of the photos is that we we all brought something quite different to the to the to the table. But Steve was the was the uh, the creative genius, and I think he's he, he's proved that with subsequent bands that he's had, um, Bang Bang Machine in particular, um, who I thought were absolutely fantastic. So uh, yeah, um, Steve brought the rough ideas. We we worked on them. Um, and we we took an equal credit. It feels like from reading stuff, the record industry wanted to sort of like tag you as almost like this sort of British blondie type um, thing. I mean, that must have been from what I've read. You've you probably didn't really appreciate that um, as a band. I, I, looking back now, I can I can see why those connections were made. You actually, become more aware of of some of the things that were done that I was unaware of at the time. So I'm looking at the. Um, the 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 album cover for the for the first album and uh you know and and it is reminiscent of the imagery that that blondie may have used um so that was done deliberately but from our perspective we were you know we were um a bunch of of kids who um enjoyed what we were doing and just created what we were doing we didn't think of ourselves as some sort of copy of blondie we liked them and i you know who who of our age at that time wouldn't have liked blondie um, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was it was it was just lazy press. You know, if if the journalist turned around and said, you know, Britain's answer to Blondie, you just thought, well, for, for God's sake, how did you get the job? You know, think a little deeper, fella. There's 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 more to life than than that. And uh, and I remember we played in a in a in a pub in London. I, I might have been the Hope and Anchor actually. And there was a poster on the wall on the the, the side of the stage, and it said, you know playing tonight the photos Britain's answer to Blondie and I remember just halfway through first song Ollie just stopped and got up walked up and just ripped it down you know um, that's how we felt about it 
No. What were those early tours like then? What was? Did I read that you you like you too supported you? Is that right? You had to bring that up, didn't you? Yeah. yeah sorry. We, um, uh, don't be, well, don't be too obvious, but well, get it well, out of the way early. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, <laughs> the first thing was that um, the first thing I want to say about it was that you know we were, we were kids from the. But they were from the country. I was I was from the city. But you know, we were we were pretty naive and and uh, wide eyed, uh, and and it was fantastic. You know, the, the just going out and and playing almost every night, getting paid not much, but getting paid a little bit for it. But but then beginning to to mix with with bigger names. Uh, we were lucky that we we were on an agency, uh, the same agency as um, established names. So the 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 police were there. Squeeze, Undertones, Thompson Twins. I think were, were on there. What as as a young band, you would go and support them on a tour. You were the obvious choice from the agent's uh, perspective. So we we were lucky. We toured with 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 them. Um, great bands. Did a couple of tours with the Undertones and 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 Squeeze and and we did a couple of stints with the police in Europe, which was fantastic. You too were a new band, and they were. Unfortunate enough to have to support us on a couple of occasions. Uh, it's interesting. Um, a, a friend of a friend, I can't remember who it was now, uh, was speaking to our agent, and the agent said, "I've got two new bands, um, and one of them is going to be huge. Don't know who it is. It's either the Photos or you two. So I guess we drew the, drew the short straw, and they got the long one. So, uh, <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah, we did. Um, but of course, they, you know, they were they were just like us. You know, all you know, we didn't see ourselves as stars or special in, in in that respect all the people that we met were, were the same they were just ordinary kids going out you know making exciting music and it was fantastic i loved those i love those early days of the tours they 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 were the highlight of of the photos for me um it was later that it, it, it got uh, not so pleasant mm. you mentioned about the the police and that was a stadium tour i think in europe that must have been really exciting you know you and guys you know and, and when they obviously getting out there and going all across europe and i guess did you get you know, great experiences from that. Oh well, yeah. You know, you have thousands of thousands, tens of thousands of kids up and down the UK would, would give their right arm to be a you know be able to do stuff like that. You know, it was mind blowing, and you had to pinch yourself every now and again to go, well, well, you know, hold on a minute, we're just I'm, I'm spending the evening here with with Stuart Copeland. We're going off to a club somewhere, and um, oh, we just played to. 12,000 people, you know, you know, and this was, this was a, from coming from a band that just only previously only played small clubs. So it, it was a real eye opener to us. And, and, and it was a buzz. It was an absolute buzz, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't, it was fantastic. Yeah, sounds your, great. Your stagecraft must've improved going from like those smaller venues to, to that larger crowd. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. We were terrible in the, in the early days, you know, but that was the, that was, that was the nature of punk. It was about enthusiasm and fun and energy um, and, and no stagecraft, you know, um, I remember, I remember we, we only had one guitar each or the record company with people were coming along to see us and, and Steve broke a string. And then we had to stop for like 10 minutes while he changed his string and went, oh, this is no good. You know, we've, we've got to up our game a little bit. So it's little things like that. You pick up, you know, and you know, you learn very, very quickly, but it, you know, um, I don't know. We didn't plan it. We didn't, we didn't plan how we were going to do this stuff, probably much to the annoyance of the record company and managers in that respect. We, we didn't play the game. We were doing our thing and we didn't want to be manipulated. Uh, I know everybody says this, we, but we, you know, we just didn't respond to, to the, you know, the thoughts of what if you've got to dress like rock stars. Well, how do they dress then? You, you tell us and we'll, we'll think about it, you know? So stagecraft came through experience, but it was all very much, very much 
about having fun and engaging with the people who were there. The, the 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 thought that used to strike me almost every gig that I would look at the audience and then think to myself, "Wow, these people have paid to come and watch us tonight." And I, I in in a in a way, I couldn't quite get my head around that. It always seemed um, too unreal. Uh, it, that, that's one of the one of the fantastic things um, about you know playing to to big audiences. It, you know, it's it's you, you can't replicate it anywhere else, and it's it's quite magical. I was one of them, Dave. Thank you. Um, so yeah, no worries. Nineteen eighty-one. Well, just tell me, Martin. What, what were we like? Because um, you know, I, I never got to see us. That's that's the weird thing. Well, I'm I just... never saw the photos. Why are you? Why why are we talking to you now? So <laughs> I mean, I I so I went to see you in nineteen eighty-one. Um, St Albans City Hall. The uh, was Michael Debar's check and past was the support, and that had two guys in Blondie in his band. Clem, oh, I remember, Clem yeah. Burke and Nigel Harrison. Um, I remember that, yeah. And and, and Clem, Clem Burke's girlfriend looked just like Debbie Harry. Right. <laughs> there we go. I, it's, it's the nonsense stuff that I remember. We'd been invited to uh, one of Blondie's parties. It was a, it was one of their album release parties. So that was, you know, that again, it was like the, another step up. Hold on a minute. You know, we're going as VIPs to this party. is ridiculous. Uh, and it was shortly after that, the, 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 we played that gig, if I remember rightly, yeah. Because that first album, in terms of the the record company and Epic and, and everything, how did that all sort of transition from you going from these small venues, sort of gigging away in that sort of punk punk style, to to with the you know where you've got that transition and and then into to getting Roger Bichirin sort of produce yeah producing your album. How does that? What's that sort of journey like? One of the things about the 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 band the the individuals uh, and in a way led to our to our demise was that um, we all had we had we had a, a a wide range of diverse influences and and we were always looking to to you know expand our horizons to move from from the hard punk to the to the the sort of the uh, I hate to say it, the more the more the more commercial mold you know more mm. you know um that that was just the natural progression you know development of songwriting development of of of, of musical abilities and a desire to want to move out of you know just very basic musical style so that that in that respect it was it was it was quite simple i don't know you it's a good question how did it feel after we recorded the album and and going out and playing it was. It all happened so quickly, to be quite honest, and I'm sure lots of other bands will say this. It was a bit of a blur. Um, you know, one day we were recording in a in a um, a shed somewhere in Worcestershire, uh, and the next day we're you know we're on on tour with the police. It was it was really quite quick. We we just enjoyed the ride um, while it was happening. Um, I don't think we any of us really thought too hard about it. It was moving, you know, it was moving in the right direction and things were getting bigger and better as we went along and, and we just enjoyed the ride. And what impact did that did that Roger Bichirin, what did he have on the band and their sound, you know, for that album? The original, the first release of the album had um, the the, the um, bootleg, uh, the blackmail tapes. Yeah, blackmail tapes, yeah. Tapes, uh, which were actually, which were, the, which were um, demos. <laughs> No, I mean, what I mean. Recognition 
So we recorded demos with a with a local guy, and unbeknown when you go and you know to most people when you go into a studio, we record it there. He owns those those recordings. So so the record deal is about to be signed. There's been a lot of hoo ha in the press. It's, it's quite common knowledge that we were about to be signed, and he got in touch with CBS and said, "I've got a whole lot of photos tapes here. I'm, you know, I'm going to put an album out." Um, it's going to wreck your release. Um, and if you, um, well, you know, if you, if you breach my palm with silver, I'll sell them to you, which they did. They, they, they bought them off him to, to stop him, you know, ruining things. And I remember walking into CBS one day and they said, we've got this here. I'm going to put it out with it, but we need some, some notes. And that's what I came up with, you know, recorded in a garage somewhere in, in, in Worcester as a, as a dig at him. You know, it was it was it was raw beforehand. You know, quite unprofessional. We were we were just doing our thing. We we particularly wanted to use Roger because he'd worked with the Undertones. Uh, the Undertones were great favourites of ours. We thought they had the the energy, the power, but still raw enough. And if he could capture that, that'd be great. But it was it was a huge eye opener. But he brought you know he brought in all, all sorts of ideas that that were particularly dear to me because he he's um, steeped in in sort of sixties or even late fifties um, uh, style of music as well. The the stuff he did with um, with Rockpile and and all the rest of them, and he you know they're all part of the same group. So. Um, he, you know, he brought those influences and, and then bringing in the strings, strings, uh, yeah, which we we should never thought about. People who particularly like you know, Satan's rats. You know, um, there's always people who don't like to like change too much. But you know, last thing we want to do was was to be another Satan's rats or or, or put out another blackmail tapes. You know, we wanted to to push ourselves and and learn new stuff. Uh, yeah. So so the strings for us were you know mind blowing. Loved all that stuff. Loved layering all the vocals and things. Um, gave gave a, a a different feel to us, um, which which we we obviously embraced. We loved that. That was good. Because that album is is a mixture of styles, isn't it? You know, you can see that you've got the influence of those that first the 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 Satan's Rats band, but also 
you can see the songwriting evolving and changing with a lot more of the um those sort of not necessarily commercial but certainly more melodic songs i would say yeah i i think i think that's typical for for many young bands you know those songs were written over a, a fairly extended period you know a, a couple of years so you so you're going to get a, you're going to get you know um, you get a, a a lot of variation within that just for for that for that purpose it's um you know the second album the difficult second album is when uh, you you're forced to write it in in a shorter period of time i generally get it a bit wrong and then the, by the third album you know people have have clocked on so um it's often the third album that that, that really breaks bands well, i'm um, still yes, looking it, forward to the third album dave um i unfortunately there won't be a third photos album i did i did toy with the <laughs> idea <laughs> yeah. i did toy with the idea once because um we never really toured the second album no. you know we no. did some we did we, we we did play some of it live um but but not to any great extent and of course technology has moved on now um and it would be i thought it would be great to go out take that out and to do that album with all the bells and whistles and the stuff that's that's on the on the Visconti album. Uh, that would be great fun. And I thought, well, yeah, I can't do it as the photos. And I th then I thought maybe we could go out as Britain's answer to the photos as a reference back to Britain's answer to the Blondie. But um, I, like that. I, I I would I would love to do it. I would love to do it um, because I, I'm still very busy with music. Yeah. Well, I still think there's. That, I mean, we'll come on to that second album maybe in a minute, but yeah. def definitely that 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 is got the strong for me the stronger set of songs on it. So I, you could definitely see that um, that mm -hmm. change, and it's a travesty that it hasn't got more uh, more more profile. That you know the 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 thing starts here to uh, to push that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, do that, Martin. I, I'm I, going you know, to. I listen to it. I might be on my own, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm going to do it, Dave. You I, I will. Be, I will be with you all the way. <laughs> I, you know, I I don't. As I said, I. It, it, earlier on i i don't i don't like to reminisce and i don't like to live in the past and i think the past is the past and, and i'd rather do new and, and, and fresh and stuff so i don't I, I i didn't listen to to um our recordings um for for many years and then i then i listened to uh the sconti album when it was when it was uh re-released on cd mm -hmm. uh, and i went do you know this sounds as fresh as it was then you know it's not out of place today it doesn't sound like it was recorded all those years ago. No, one of the things we're finding um, talking to the, the some of the bands is that the songs are really strong. If the, if the song is really strong, then it doesn't matter. And as long as the production is um, still, you know, valid, uh, you know, for, for me, those songs are super strong and therefore they should be able to stand up even even today. Let's talk about the promotion of that first album. Oh, thanks. Come, come on. You know what's coming. <laughs> is that nothing? A... Nothing to do with cameras, is it? No, and the enemy. Well, you've got two, haven't you? You've got you've got the free album of the Blackmail tapes, which I was delighted at because that's that's a good history um, and, and I, process. Yeah, yeah well, I, I I think I think the Blackmail tapes are perfectly valid. You know, it shows the transition from where we are, and. And cameras. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it's a, it's a story though, isn't it? It is a story, but what what twaddle? You know, anyone listening to this and thinking, yeah, okay, here's the story. Uh, to promote the album, um, the 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 pluggers and, uh, and all the salespeople offered cameras to to the record shops, um, 
as an incentive to to display the album to push it a little bit and all that sort of stuff which it goes on you know that's what marketing is about the real the, let's be real people that's what happens it doesn't matter what you're selling that's that's what happens you've got to get your, yourself to the front of the of the pile but these cameras were uh were like those really cheap disposable instamatic cameras right plastic things probably worth a couple of quid that somebody had printed I think I can't remember it was printed on, even stuck on the photos on the front of it. I mean, that's how cheap it was. Uh, I think I think the, the bottom line is the, the, some parts of the press didn't like us. They thought we were a, um, a, a manufactured pop outfit of some sort. Looking back, I can I can see why they felt that. You know, again, if you look at the you know the the, the record company's attempts to connect us to Blondie, as Britain's answer to Blondie, you know, the NME certainly would have you know it, it wasn't their thing. They would have hated us for that. Um, and they they set out to get us. You know, they'd bring us down in any way they could. I was I was really annoyed. Not so much about what they did, but the way they did it. They turned up, you know, at a gig to go, oh, yeah, can we have a, can we have an interview? Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. And it's all nicey-nicey. Then they, you know, they asked a couple of questions about it and didn't say much. But it was, you know, then within a few days, it's a, it's a big expose in the in the press. It was a, it was a horrible thing. It's the way they did it. Um, and it made me realise what journalists, not all, but some journalists are like. And it was it was horrible. Yeah, and and that that in 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 some way um, began to to said lead to our demise. But um, we we were we were we were the flavor of the week, month, year. Like you know, for for a long while we were we were pretty much you know there all the time in all the press. It only takes one bad apple to to say something nasty, and other people will start to join in. You know, well, the people today you can't you can't appreciate how much power. Like sounds, enemy, you know, record, you know, all of those um, weekly newspapers, th they controlled a lot, didn't they? Control, oh, uh, you know. Well, it's so the, hard to for, for people these days to to realize or recognize that actually that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, hey kids, you don't know how lucky you are. You know, you you create your own press, you create your own, you, you are your own record label if you want to be. You know. It, it, when we were when we were uh, playing back then you had no choice you had to you know you had to sign to a record label to to get anywhere um you, you know they took everything and the and the publishers and everybody else took <laughs> took everything from it you earned very little managers took everything so uh yeah it's a different ball game now okay you know you don't sell as many records but you have control over what you're doing that was a that was a different world then, and it was horrible. So it it wasn't the fact that they complained or, or, or you know didn't like what the record company was doing. It was the way they went about it. That's what really got to me, and that's what it began to uh, take away my enjoyment from from the from the music industry. As I said in the early days, we got together. I did it just just for love. You know, I I. I Ended. I was playing in in the early band at school, and and went. This is fantastic. Five foot seven and a half, and all the girls love me. You know, it's 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 wonderful. You know, uh, but it, it was so exciting being part of that. But when it became a job, the excitement went. We'll come back to that later. But the, but the but the band itself, obviously, you you're still irritated by that. I can you know from from, from mm. stuff. I can I can see that. But uh, you managed to get through that, and you you still had some adversity to get through because I um I read about a TV appearance or a top of the pops appearance that perhaps didn't happen because of some industrial action. It felt like things were conspiring, you know. Uh yeah. Um. Okay. Look. 
Look, let's be honest. You know, and, and you know, to save myself from going insane over the years, uh, you know, I, I've looked at this pragmatically. I think you know, there, there's there's an element of luck for for any band, as you know, if as to if they 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 break big or not. You know, there there are there are hundreds, thousands of great bands around, great artists who are never recognized, never get even five minutes of fame, let alone 15, you know, uh, and they deserve a lot, a lot more. Uh, I guess we were, you know, we, we had, we had the ingredients, we had something, we were in the right place at the right time. We met the right people, whatever it was, something gave us a break and we, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we, we got, we got on, on the wagon and, and um and had a had a pretty decent ride sorry yeah i lost the what was the original question oh top of the pops yes top of the pops yes so um uh we had a single that was doing uh pretty well um uh, uh irene um irene yeah uh yeah and and that got hit that got into i think got in the top 40 or top 30 or something like that it was doing well and like you know every band has their breakthrough single and that was going to be our breakthrough single <laughs> Top of the Pops, which, you know, again, for younger listeners, um, it was huge. Top of the Pops was massive in those days. Uh, you 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 literally double your sales overnight. And, you know, and when, when we talk about sales, sales in the in the, you know, in the in the 40s in the charts would way outstrip uh, number one in this in this day and age. So, you know, you not only increase your sales massively, uh, it was watched by almost every family because how many TV channels were there to watch in those days? Uh, you, you, you would possibly become a household name. Europe and America looked to top the pops and pretty much copied. So once you broke in, in the UK, you know, you had the opportunity to break in, in, in other parts of the world. So it was a massive thing. The format of Top of the Pops has changed over the years, but at that time, uh, it was all mimed. You mimed everything. But the Musicians' Union uh, insisted that 
bands had to go into the studio the day before uh, to re-record the track with a member of the music musicians union there watching to make sure it was them and not a bunch of session guys so fine so you go into the studio you record it this is on the wednesday union rep there yeah that's great off he goes of course you swap the tape you use a copy of the original tape you know um, something you took four or five days to record <laughs> you you know you're not going to use one you took an hour to record so uh off he goes we uh we go back to the hotel we're going to record top of the pops on the thursday afternoon got a phone call that evening to say that um top of the pops is has gone off the air the unions have gone on strike and it was off air for oh i don't know a number of weeks 16 weeks or something like that it was a fairly long strike uh, by which time of course lost all the momentum and there you go so you know so around it was around about the same time that you, we had the bad press about the you know the promotion so there was that there was the loss of of that uh, momentum not doing top of the pops the and the, and the energy starts to go not from not from us um i think we we weren't very happy at the time but the record company then goes oh well we've got we've got some we, we've got altered images here let's say hey, that's fresh and new let's give them a push shall we so things things start to change yeah. But you get you get to a point where you start to make the second album then, and you you called it a couple of times the Visconti album. But obviously that's that was he was quite a big producer, wasn't he? Oh yeah, massive. It was um, you know, it was Steve's idea to 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 use him. They said they said you know, let's 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 be honest. At this point, you know, things things were still going well for us. We were still you know still still doing very well, um, and we were still looking uh, looking to do the second album and. Uh, Steve said he he would he, who so who would you like and and he Steve's a huge Bowie fan uh, and he said oh Tony Visconti would be great and I think think was a bit blown away when when we got him and boy was that an experience that was something special that was that was you know with all res due respect to to Roger Bashirian um it, it was a it was a, a different approach altogether open to experimentation a lot of experimentation which what you think you know i think you can hear when you listen to the album nothing 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 was out of the question let's try this okay then yeah we'll give it a go and sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't but it, you know it, it was it, it was great yeah it's it you know learned a hell of a lot through that one that was that was a you know it was a different album it was, and probably you could say it was a different band you know we'd we'd moved on in leaps and bounds and and one of the one of the issues we had um, around the album, you know, everybody when we finished, it, everybody record company and everybody said, "Hey, this is fantastic," and the record company said, "This is fantastic," but we don't know how to market it because it hasn't got those like three minute singles that the other one had. We need a single. Go and record some singles, you know. And it was like that's a kick in the teeth, you know. We'd 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 put heart and soul into this as individuals, as a band, as musicians. We were, you know, we were pushing our boundaries. We were learning and moving and changing and to be told to go back and do what you did before because we like that better. Um, it's not easy to take. Mm. So so that was the end. It was difficult. And and you know, we struggled to do that. We, you know, we, it, it, it's not something that we, that we that we could do easily. I think I think they were wrong. I, th I think they said, oh, like, totally oh, the wrong. only single is for beauty's sake. And it's like, I, I thought there were about three or four singles on there. So I think that, not that I'm an expert, but I well, found, find that well, a bit surprising. Life in the Day was a single, the, fir the first track yeah. was released as a single.
Um, but for me, it's 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 the other stuff, and you know, and 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 I guess I guess the album, in a way, was also influenced by our experience of playing the you know the the, the bigger stages. Mm. A lot of that music would be more suited to to I won't say stadium, but, you know, but, but larger venues. It, it wasn't it wasn't just sweaty punk club stuff. It, you know, it it, it it was much more expansive, and, and I I I think. I personally think far, far better. Yeah, well, me, me too. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but you know, to me, this is, you know, that's that album is, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't be forgotten albums. So, what happened after that, that album? I'm, it's very difficult for me to, to, to put this in into the right chronological order because, as I said, you know, it's, um, I don't dwell on it. It's happened. It's gone, uh, and it was a pretty, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a happy period. And I think I've I've deliberately forgotten a lot of it. There was there was this. Well, can we can we promote it from the record company? Got the bad press. Uh, not very happy. Wendy, you know, we haven't talked about Wendy. Um, this is really important. We, we were a bunch of naive guys. Yeah, come on, Wendy. Yeah, come on, do that. We'll do this, do that. And uh, Wendy struggled um, because you know she was the only woman in a in a totally male environment. And at that stage. We had no comprehension of what she was thinking, what she was going through. It meant nothing. Yeah, you know, we were we were selfish and young and arrogant. And it's only now that I look back and I go, "Poor girl," you know, what she what she must have felt like, and being pushed by the record company as a sex symbol. You know, let's let's face it. Um, and she was under a lot of pressure. You know, she would take a, a friend on tour with her just so she had female company, which was you know, which was which was fine. But she was under a lot of pressure. She wasn't happy. Um, so the band was beginning to fragment a little bit. Uh, and the record company, uh, the, uh, the management, and I'll say this, uh, one is still alive. The other one died um, quite young. They were greedy. And they thought that they could have two bands, two acts. They could, um, if they split us, they could sign Wendy as a solo artist. And we would carry on as a, as a three-piece. And they tried that. and And... Pretty much that's how it worked out. You know, we were we were really unhappy. We were unhappy, we thought, with Wendy. Uh, and I felt awful saying this because of things that were happening. I now realize that if anybody, if it was anybody's fault, it was it was our fault, not hers. We were totally unreceptive uh, to, to her, her feelings. But, it, but we sort of went along with it. You know, we were persuaded it was a good idea. Big, big mistake, big mistake. So around that period, for, for me personally, the, the the music business, I won't say it destroyed me, but it, it broke my heart. I, I didn't want anything to do with the music industry, with bands, with anything. Maybe I'm jumping forward a little bit here. I'm talking about the you know the, the breakup. Yeah, the you, yeah. I was going to say you tried another vocalist, didn't you? From oh uh, yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, I've forgotten all of that stuff. Yeah, we yeah we, yeah, we um. We, yeah, we we did. Oh, crikey! See, put it all to all to one point. So yes, um, so there was there was Shay, um, yeah. Shay Zero Zero, who uh, American, and she was um, in in a band called the Orchids. Um, a few good songs were written, and we did some demos, but it, it just it just never took off. We never did any gigs with her. After that, we we so we continued as a three piece, 
uh, with uh, got a got a, a couple of girls in uh, uh, backing singers, and Steve took on lead vocals. And we did a few gigs around there as well, but um, I think I think we all knew it. You know, it wasn't the same. It wasn't good. Mm. Um, my heart had gone. I I I I, think I I didn't really want to do it. Um, so uh, you know, bit by bit, Ollie dropped out first, then then myself, uh, and, and then you know, and Steve carry on doing his his things. Um, Ollie went off to to uh, to art college and, and is uh, became a, a, a filmmaker, yeah. and is now uh, and has been very successful. Steve uh, carried on with with some great bands, Bamboo Machine, as I mentioned in particular, been playing with Blurt for a number of years, um, whatever ever since then until now. Uh, but I, I turned my back on on the on the, the industry. I didn't want to play with anybody. I didn't want to do anything. I sold all my gear. I actually I kept one guitar, but I, I got rid of everything else, and and the guitar went under the bed, and I I didn't touch it for a good ten years. Uh, it wasn't until my uh, the eldest lad takes guitar lessons, and I'm listening one day, and I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, he's getting he's getting quite good, isn't he? Um, and and it, it inspired me to pick my guitar up again and and started playing. And it was around about that time I was actually at a at a it was one of Steve's birthday. Actually, we we're in a pub in in Worcester and upstairs I remember just looking I was looking over the, the balcony and uh, somebody came up the stairs and and with their new boyfriend and pointed to me and said Dave will play in our band and I'd had a few beers and I said yeah why not and that was it and I came back to it but no this is the whole point of this when I um, started playing again as being, as well as being terrified and all over the place and not knowing what I was doing I had that same rush that I had when I was a kid I felt the same as I did when Satan's, you know, with, with the early Satan's Rats when, when I first started playing with them and that excitement. Uh, and and I realised what it was all about. Um, and it was that that actually made me realise how bad it had got at the end of the photos. Not because of the band, not because of the people. It wasn't that. It was the industry that was to blame. Yeah. Are you still in touch with the others? Myself and, and Steve um, been and, and, and Ollie have been recording recently. Oh, here we go then. So we've got 80s Revival Tour, the photos. No, 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 no. Even <laughs> Nice try, Martin. Nice yeah, try. Yeah, keep going. Probably yeah. even better still. Okay. So this all, this all kicked off um, during uh, COVID. Uh, Ollie, uh, Ollie, Ollie's partner, Puss Johnson, has a band called uh, Puss and the Dirty Johnsons. Um, sort of, uh, I apologize, Puss, if I get the terminology wrong, but it's, um, I don't know what, a uh, punk, punkabilly style, I don't know, but, um, it was, so it was, it was suggested that, um, uh, that it'd be fun, great fun during lockdown to record some, some, some Satan's cats, uh, Satan's uh, rats tunes. So, um, it was suggested and Steve asked me and I don't think he finished his sentence. I said, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, great. That'd be that'll be good fun. It took a while to get together, but eventually we 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 had a half a day's rehearsal, put out an EP uh, last year under the under the name of uh, Satan's Cats. Okay, nice. See what we did there. I see what we see did, there. What yeah. did there. Very nice. Yeah. Very clever. Uh, but um, got really well received. Great reviews all over the place, all over the world. You know, it really surprised me. I thought, you know, it's, this is just a nostalgia thing. For, you know, we'll, it'll be fun. We'll do it. You know, hey, great. But it was really good. Puss is a great singer. Terrific energy. Um, we, you know, myself and Steve have been playing in bands all our lives, so it was quite easy to to, to pick it up. Um, but it won't be. It will, it will never be the photos. No. Okay. Um, uh, Wendy is is definitely not 
going to do anything at all. Not interested, no. 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 no okay. So um, uh, it will never do. We'll never do the photo stuff. But um, that's as close as you get with Satan's Cats. Oh, well, that's okay. You can still do some of the songs, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I, I, It's not, maybe, I'll leave it mm, at that. Yeah, you know, okay. I, again, we know, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want it to be serious. I want, you, you do what you, you do, you, whatever you you do as best as you can and serious in that respect. But I, you know, um, it has to be fun. Okay, well, look, really appreciate your time. I'm conscious that we're we're probably just just about to finish. So, um, okay, thanks, Martin we'll and, you know. and Noel. Um, it's, it's it's been a pleasure. It's been a it's been a, a trip down memory lane because you you know more about it than I do. As I said, I never saw the photos, so you you're the experts. <laughs> um, I I've forgotten so much of that stuff. Absolutely, but thank Brilliant. you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Best of luck, guys. Wish you Cheers. well. See you. See you now. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uncharted 80s podcast. As you know, uh, we do our research from a variety of sources. Of course, if uh, you want to add any more details to what we've we talked about, correct us on anything, then you can, of course, contact us. Where can they contact us, Noel? Well, they can contact us on our email address, which is podcast at uncharted80s.com. Brilliant. Or you can do that via our Facebook group, the Uncharted 80s. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you. Thank you.